I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back. I'm Carl Mack, and this is Combat Chronicles. Plenty to cover today, so I'll just jump straight in. We're going to start with a bit of boxing, then have a little break and then make our way over to the MMA because there's just so much to cover from this past weekend. I'm going to start off with some news about boxing though, rather than fight analysis, so we'll get to that in a minute. A uh, bit of news came out today that the WBA have ordered Alexander Usyk to defend his title against Daniel Dubois, who's now the uh, mandatory, even given his... Um, I never actually covered on the podcast, but thrilling, if somewhat um, disturbing and worrying, fight with former Cruiserweight contender Kevin Lorena. So... First things first, I assume that uh, they are trying to make the Usyk Fury fight, which is news we heard um, last week, which, again, I didn't cover on the podcast. Uh, for some time in February, possibly very, very early March. Um, but there is also a spanner in the works that Frank Warren manages Daniel Dubois. Makes sense to me that he's going to force that fight, do Fury Joyce in the meantime, and then do Fury Usyk later in the year, therefore maximising the amount of paydays as a promoter that he'll get. So... Um, I do think the fact Fury's now talking about Usyk is, you know, as I say, positive, um, but also talk with Joe Joyce and Wembley. So that could fall apart at any moment. I'm sure Warren would love to maximise the amount of fights he can make out of Fury and Usyk. But as we know from history, marinating super fights never goes too well, does it? And speaking about marinating super fights, the one we all want to see down south of uh, heavyweight, obviously there are a couple more, Baturbia versus uh, Bivol's probably high on our list at light heavyweight but the big one is Terence Bud Crawford versus Errol Spence um, but Bud Crawford fought this past weekend against David Avenesian um, Avenesian a fighter I actually rate I sort of half jokingly said on uh, Twitter this past week that I thought he'd win because if we just talk about marinating super fights it's oftentimes uh, fights that you think the big stars are going to win that they, they don't Um Easy example, you know, Juan Manuel Lopez um, had the awful fight with uh, Rogers Matagua uh, in the lead into um, the Gamboa super fight and then later lost to Salido, a guy that I think at that point Gamboa had already beaten. Um, but yeah, you know, that's the one I always use. Um, easy example for one I was totally wrong about, just as I was with this one. I always thought that David Diaz was going to beat Manny Pacquiao just because it's the kind of fight that you just comes out of left field to surprise you. Um, the other big one from back in the day, one that surprised you know, everyone, was um, Eric Morales versus uh, Zahir Rahim. So these things happen. And, you know, I did jokingly say, I thought, you know, David Ava would win because uh, chaos. But actually a good win for Crawford. I've been uh, saying for a while that I don't think 
Terence Crawford's uh, record and his level of opposition really meets the reputation he has. Um, didn't rate Porter or Brooke all that highly, um, and you know yeah, he's been on a kind of run of just you know not that great weights on his side of the bracket. Not all that impressive. He's got some quality wins, obviously Victor Postal and hey look Porter and, and Brooke are fine, and we've seen them against other fighters to measure them um, as a win for Crawford. He's clearly quality. But at welterweight, at least, and at light welterweights, you know, one of the seems one of the greatest light welterweights of all time, and he unified with a really poor bunch. To be honest with you, at welterweight, there's only one fight we really want to see. But Avenisian's a fight that I quite rate, and he's been tested against a load of uh, different styles. Um, not always come out on top, um, but you know, he's a he's a decent fighter. And quite frankly, I think if I remember correctly, the Lamont Peterson decision was awful. Um, he's beaten. Punches like uh, the butcher uh, Bill Bow or Kerman uh, Lera Hago, I thought was always a really dangerous kind of caveman esque. He's beaten boxers like Josh Kelly, who I didn't rate all that highly, but still clearly had some skill um, and a, a speed advantage. And actually, early on in this in this going, uh, Avenician had a pretty decent go of Crawford, uh, shifting into right hands to open him up or open his defense up um, and landed some good ones. Um, I think it's a pretty decent uh, kind of. Uh, Fight Avenisian in the sense of he's quite a dangerous fighter himself. He can catch you in exchanges. He can uh, force you into mistakes, and and he's quite a decent banger himself, actually. Um, and a, a decent fighter, a good, legit contender. You know, Russian essentially, but basically like one of the best in Europe in that sort of uh, sense. Um, and battle tested as well. Um, not. Brilliant, but really good, and a good win for Crawford. He's a fighter we've um, seen against a load of other sort of decent fighters, and we can see uh, where Avenesian's at. But once Crawford felt comfortable, um, and he did, um, he settled in the southpaw. We know Crawford switches stances, but is it southpaw in this fight that he was most comfortable? And started banging Avenesian on the inside with the uppercut. And once he found that, that set up the knockout, which is all almost certainly one of the best of the year in terms of aesthetics. Um, so Crawford's banging in with the uppercut on the inside. Great uh, creating space with and and, and uh, in the pocket with the shoulder and just pushing Avenisian around, landing that uppercut. And then after he's got him responding to that uppercut, then uppercut, bang, brings the right hand around the guard so it gets Avenisian reacting to the uppercut on the inside, brings the right hook, uh, the lead right hook, over and just absolutely wallops Avenesian and sparks him out. So, you know, test thoroughly uh, passed by uh, Crawford. I like David Ava, but he is, you know, a level below Crawford, and we still want to see that Spence fight. Spence, who got into another car accident this past week, but uh, unlike the last one, was not a fault and appears to be absolutely fine. Tiafimo Lopez fought on the same card. Don't want to get into it too much, but you know, the main story for me coming out of it is that he appears to have lost his confidence. Isn't the physical force at 140 as he was at 135. Seems completely unsure of himself. The fight that came up that was sparking people out left, right and centre uh, and beat Lomachenko uh, appears to be gone. Um, we do get these kind of fighters. There are fighters for, for an MMA equivalent, you got Cody Garbrandt, you know what I mean? As soon as they get people that can really uh, survive their their most dangerous shots and, and stay in the pocket with them. Um, that was not the instance in this fight with Lopez, but you know someone who can um, do something a little bit wily, lead you on the shots, etc. Don't want to play your game and not intimidated by your game. Suddenly they fall apart. And, and Lopez, I hate to say he's a flash in the pan, but I've seen fighters before um, similar to this that have a really good run and then fall off. I mean, fucking hell, the guy that beat him, George Cambosos, appears to be exactly the same. 
but certainly Tiafema Lopez on the way up looked elite level, looked top class, and it's a shame. And I hope he, regardless what you think, how annoying he is, and his dad, I hope he can refind his spark. A fighter who needs absolutely no help whatsoever finding a spark, but like the aforementioned Bud Crawford is a top-tier pound-for-pounder in search of a big fight, is now yet in a way who today, as I record this part of the podcast, uh, fought Paul Butler and unified the last required bantamweight title. Um, quite frankly, one of the softest four-bout unification bouts we've ever seen. If we spoke about Bud Crawford's uh, sort of calibre opponent at 140, I think Inouye um, is pushing him for worst four-bout champion ever at 118 in terms of quality opposition. Uh, anyway, himself, quality fighter at Bantamweight and uh, probably a tier, just a, a tad above Bud Crawford in, in that regard because he did face one of the hardest punches of all time, and a couple of our decent fighters too. Uh, but anyway, you know, he needs a bigger challenge. What I liked about in this fight is he broke down a really negative opponent. Now, we know sometimes that top-tier fighters can be made to look bad by a negative opponent. Um, anyway, he did what he needed to do. He tried every trick in the book. He tried to pressure Butler. He tried to invite Butler on. Every time Butler dared to throw punches, he got clobbered with something hard. And eventually, anyway, managed to pressure Butler against the ropes, level change, hit him with a barrage of shots, downstairs and upstairs and just clobber him down and beat him down um, you know emphatic you'd expect of a top pound for pounder against a fighter like Butler who really was levels and levels below Inoue and gave him little to work with um, what I like to see is sometimes you see fighters who um, are unable to create their own opportunities Inoue tried uh, a couple of different tactics and managed to get the win so the win was never in question. He dominated, didn't lose a round in my opinion. But the finish was something which was proven elusive because Butler was so negative. Don't care how good you are, unless you've got sort of range like Tommy Earns, which is rare. Um, these guys that are negative and are on their bike and, and don't even, even when they're coming forward, don't want to give you anything. Um, you know, you can be quality and draw out shots as good as anyone. But if no one's reacting not biting there's not much you can really do so anyway just had to try a few different things there was times where he had his hands down and butler still wouldn't throw at him you can't really have a problem with that and the fact matter is that he got the stoppage in the end which you know against someone like butler you really would have wanted because that was shit to watch um not anyway's fault it's butler's fault completely um Never should have been in a fight. Never should have had the vacant title. Um, just, you know, not a very good fighter. And, you know, comparatively to anyway, who is without a doubt one of the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in the world, one of the most electric offensive forces in the game, and one of many top-tier punches that we've got today, happy to say. As for anyway, next, I think I spoke before, it was either Fulton or Akmedaliev. Looks like Fulton's going to move up to featherweight. Um, so... Maybe Inouye will fight for a vacant title in, it, in, it, in the wake of his uh, leaving the division. But for me, the big one now, if Fulton is indeed leaving, is the uh, Inouye versus Murajon Akmedaliev fight. The top quality Uzbek. Who, man, that would be a really quality matchup. And anyway, you know, he really does need top tier matchups. He's not got the uh, quality of opposition befitting the uh, quality of his fighting style, quite frankly, and, and his skills. So. It's, everyone knows him now. He's well known amongst boxing fans and hardcore alike as a really exciting fighter. You know, the legend of Monster continues to grow. Um, you know, I would say the sub featherweights are probably my expertise in the history of boxing. I think that's fair to say. Fighters that I 
probably researched and written about the most, especially the bantamweights. If you had put a gun to my head and asked me, where does Inouye, now unified four-bout champion, rank in the uh, sort of pantheon of great bantamweights? Well, his head-to-head ranking would be a lot higher than his actual ranking. I would say he wouldn't even make the top 20 of all time. But as we're talking about bantamweights and boxing, let's move across to bantamweights and MMA. Obviously, completely different division. We're talking 118 in boxing, one. 35 in MMA, but before we get to those fights, let's take a little commercial break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we are going to talk a little bit about Bellator before we get to this week's numbered UFC event. Bellator 289, only because we're trying to keep uh, abreast of the goings-on in their Bantamweight GP and obviously, I look at the 155 GP when that gets started in earnest, which I imagine is going to happen after the Bellator uh, versus Ryzen card on New Year's Eve. Um, bit of a mixed bag, this Bantamweight GP. Obviously, we lost Sergio Pettis. Um, I previously covered on the podcast that we probably thought that Kyoji Horiguchi was robbed against Patchy Mix. Saw Patchy Mix again this time against Magomed Magomedov, um, the latter somewhat of a hipster's favourite due to his uh, ACB and ACA career fighting Piotr Jan and that. Uh, I like Magomedov, but um, he's essentially a grappler and he was going up against a bigger, more dangerous grappler on this one. Uh, threw himself into bad positions a couple of times, got choked, proper unconscious. Amazing. Uh, lovely finish from Patchy Mix, who still was somewhat of a uh, complete work in progress on the feet. Um, big, strong wrestler type. Um, 
yeah, whatever. He's going to the final, which is going to be fighting uh, Raphael Stotts, who's the uh, interim champion, who had a pretty dreadful fight with the completely abysmal uh, Danny Sabatello. And that's the fight we're really going to focus on because I like Stotts as a out-of-UFC uh, bantamweight. I um, think he's really good. Um, D2 wrestler taking on D1 wrestler here. Um, Sabatello has nothing but wrestling. Um, even with Mike Brown... Um, in his corner and as an ATT member, just truly dreadful in terms of modern MMA, like proper 2004 uh, WrestleFuck t- uh, style stuff. Doesn't really mount any offense whatsoever um, in grappling, in ground and pound, striking. He's got a couple of teeps, um, the odd snap kick, all completely ineffective. Shite lunges in with punches here and there. He's just crap. And then you might say, well, you're just treating him badly because he's got a bad attitude. And, you know, that's his personality. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you're going to come out and talk as much shit as he does, don't be this shit at MMA. Um, but the reason I'm saying that is even shooting from outside in open space with uh, no strikes to mask it, um, he still had some success actually wrestling stops. Um, and that's basically all Sabatello has. He's a completely uh, one-note, uh, as I say, 2004-style wrestler. Um, don't get me wrong. Stotts uh, was able to defend at times, but it also got himself in some bad situations. Um, I think Stotts won basically every round, just with being the more potent striker and actually trying to do stuff. Um, the main story coming out was obviously the poor scorecard by the eternally abysmal uh, Doug Crosby. But for me, this kind of shows Stotts' level because, quite frankly, we always measure Bellator against the best fighters in the world. And even though I rate Stotts, He's fought his entire career at 135. I'm not sure if he can make 125, but I think at 135 now we can see if you could be grappled by someone like Sabatello, you could be grappled quite easily by someone like Aljamain Sterling, for instance. And therefore, when you measure Stotts and what he's doing against the very best at 135, um, well, against someone with way more finishing prowess on the mat than Danny Sabatello, it's hard not to think that we're kind of seeing a bit more about his ceiling. Um, we're really going to see that tested against uh, Patchy Mix, where you're going to have to see Stotts really sort of anti-grapple um, on the feet. He should have uh, the making of a, a pretty easy win, in my opinion. But um, yeah, Mix is way more potent in sort of offensive grappling than Sabatello. Even though Sabatello, all he is is basically a wrestler. And as for Sabatello, I just don't want to see the guy. Um, give him Horiguchi. That's a kind of bounce back fight for Gooch. Um, you know, that's the kind of fight that he should just completely piss. Um, even though, obviously, of course, he is he's ATT himself. So as I say that, it doesn't make any sense uh, whatsoever. But um, whatever. Uh, as I say, get... Yet, um, personality-wise and uh, in terms of fighting style, I had to think then for a second, get Savatello off my screen. Stotts I still like, um, still think he'll win the tournament and a fight with Sergio Pettis should not only be somewhat interesting, um, but will actually allow me to really gauge in terms of size whether I reckon Stotts can make 125 because if he does eventually make the leap over the UFC... Don't think he'll make a dent in bantamweight, but should be some interesting fights for him if they want to do cross promotion with uh, Ryzen and whatnot. And uh, yeah, whatever. So sometimes you don't need to compare the two. Bellator's doing their own thing. I know um, they're easy to dunk on, but yeah, I like the product. And as a, as a number two, they're absolutely fine. Again, Ryzen's doing something completely different as well. And uh, yeah, I'm fine with the product. I'm enjoying it. And the 135 and 155 GPs. The former's coming to a close. The, the latter is yet to begin. 
should be absolutely fantastic. Not going to mention much else from this card at all. Actually, I'm not going to mention nothing else from this card whatsoever. We're going to go with the UFC next. Not the whole card, not all the fights, just a couple of somewhat interesting ones. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to talk about Raul Rosas Jr. defeating Jay Perrin because, you know, it's just a, it was a dunk, really. Even though the lad's really precocious and talented, it's, it's not all that interesting to talk about. You know, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities to talk about him. As his career progresses, he's obviously going to probably end up being a mainstay of this podcast for good or bad. Um, really is being touted as a super prospect. Not really going to talk about, you know, Rosenstrike or even Edmund Shabazian. I'm happy to see him back, but not exactly that interesting. Chris Curtis versus Joaquin Buckley. Um, you know, I'm happy Curtis got back on the horse. Um, love, just love how patient the guy is. He's a really patient fighter. Um, patient under fire is what I meant to say. He takes his time and mixes up uh, his, his boxing so well. With Joaquin Buckley, he's, he's clearly an inherently flawed fighter. But he looks the part and he's somewhat of an interesting litmus test for fighters, I guess. So keep him around. Um, funny enough, a fighter who's in much higher stature in the middleweight division, who I don't think they should keep around anymore, is Darren Till. Uh, who lost to Duplessis this uh, weekend and just looked abysmal. Um, it's less interesting to really talk about the fight. Obviously, um, Duplessis is just weird um, and janky um, standing up and obviously somewhat dangerous, and just absolutely just grapple-fucked Darren Till in this fight. First round, horrendous. Second round, Till on the front foot, um, picked it up a bit, um, as he does, um, but still just so generic, Darren Till, so one-route, so one-paced, so one-dimensional. Um, and then again, it gets dragged down into bad positions, eventually um, gets cranked into submission, but... It, this fight is not so interesting from a technical perspective. It's just like the final nail in the coffin for Darren Till. Can't make well away. Takes all his time off all the time. Um, acts like he's, he's he's putting in the work. Shows sparring footage where he does the same old shit. Um, doesn't improve on his weaknesses whatsoever. And even when he's on form, doesn't look particularly good. Hasn't won a fight since, what, Gastelum? It's kind of like he was dining out on a while and the fact that he beat Gastelum and been competitive against Robert Whitaker. But actually, like, if you don't play a sort of rangy game with him, he's fucking terrible. Uh, and basically, if, if you can pressure him, he falls apart. He just doesn't have it at all. He's a completely uninteresting personality. And as a fighter, must be something to do with the Scousers because I'm going to talk about Paddy Pimblett next because Paddy Pimblett is... On fraud watch, um, I think actually he's being what I've got a jazzy here. Never really do this, but I've got a jazzy I've got from the sweet shop. For those that don't know, a jazzy is a round chocolate treat covered in small sweets. I think we call them hundreds of thousands here. Just gonna eat that. Hold on. Mmm. Hold on. Wait there. So ASMR. Mm. That confectionery which cost about five p is more interesting than Paddy Pimler at fighting. I've been watching Paddy since uh, Cage Warriors. Mate Brad Wharton always liked him, so he was a good lad. He commentates obviously for CW, and um, 
you know, I never really rated him. He came over to UFC, obviously made a name for himself by being a gobby twat. Um, he's not a prospect. He's like 28, 29. Um, we've seen his level. If you watch his fight in Cage Warriors, you'd seen his level. He's kind of bluffed his way in the UFC on the back of a, uh, on paper, decent run. Um, really, he's built, he's filled out into lightweight now, but he won't particularly affect it at 145. Definitely isn't at 155. Jared Gordon doesn't look like a big 155er at all. Was herding him in the shots, pushing him around. Um, just able to get the better of him at all in all phases, essentially. Pinwit, his, his defence is non-existent. And when he goes forward, um, he's not particularly dynamic. He, he He's not afraid to go forward. Does mix his shots up well. But to the detriment of basically everything else. Um, his chin does not appear to be adamantium. It seems to be somewhat solid. But he does get knocked about and stunned. Lightweight is stacked from like 1 to 20. I see absolutely no way, unless they go for a gimmick sort of fight against Conor McGregor. Um, I made a case on the Patreon for another fight for Conor McGregor the other day. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, this is probably the best fight for either of them. And they're kind of going to have to cash out on Pimblet soon. Because if they match him too tough, as I'm going to talk about in a second with another fight, it's going to get found out in far more severe fashion than the fight I'm going to talk about. And um, Pimblet's going to get sparked out. They might as well cash in and let someone like Conor McGregor spark him out to give him somewhat of a notable name to come back on. Because Paddy Pimblet, regardless of what you think in terms of his sporting prowess and achievements, is a notable name in MMA now. People know him. Interestingly, I think this last week or so has done some severe damage to the perception of him amongst the MMA casuals because he's now finally fighting on a big pay-per-view with like a, some serious like excitement behind him, not just on a UK card. Um, and it's been twatted around by Gordon, who quite frankly is somewhat generic in my opinion. Obviously, he's, he's good in a couple of phases, but is somewhat of a generic fighter. Um, Paddy Pimlet looked about as bad as 50-year-old Leonardo Santos did in his fight against Gordon earlier on uh, from this year. So, again, not much to talk about from a technical perspective about a fight outside of the fact that Paddy Pimlet is not very good. Um, and again, I'm sure people will say, well, you just don't like the guy. It's nothing to do. I couldn't care less about what he's like as a personality. He does contradict himself. And, you know, some scouts are particularly grating. Um, but I wouldn't take that into account when assessing his in-cage ability. don't like Sean O'Malley. Anyone who heard me wax lyrical about what I liked from his performance against Piotr Jan uh, earlier on this year will know that I don't take personal bias into my assessment of fighters. Um, Paddy Pimlet is just not very good. Um, and this idea that he's going to improve and all he seems to do is blow up in between fights in terms of his weight. Um, he's clearly got the attitude that he's, he seems quite entitled. Um, and I don't think he's actually got the athletic um, sort of skill, athletic skill, the athletic ability to improve much or to make up for his lack of uh, of technique. And if he was like a massive puncher and fought like this, or if he had like an iron chin and like was, I know he's quite scrambly, but if he really was like a high level grappler and was doing this, let's say he was fighting like this on the feet, but he was Ben Askren. That would be interesting. Um, 
There will be fights they can make from that he can win, but I don't think it's going to be anyone in the top 15 lightweights. Clearly, they're going to try and do what they did with Sean O'Malley and kind of work him up the best way they can. He's nowhere near the talent that Sean O'Malley is, and that's in an even deeper division currently uh, in 135. So um, if you put Paddy Pimlet in with a you know, Piotr Jan equivalent, um, if Alex Volkanovski was moving up to 155 to fight Paddy Pimlet and not... Uh, Islam Makachev. Um, I don't think anyone would be particularly worried. But um, yeah, I mean, Paddy Pimlet, put him in a fight against someone notable. You might be able to put him on a fight night headliner against Tony Ferguson. Maybe he could win that fight. Um, even with how slow and how shot um, Tony looked in his last fight, particularly. Um, and then after the beating he got from Chandler, I'm still not 100% sure I'd pick Paddy Pimlet. Um, but that's kind of the most notable fight I could think of that he could potentially beat. Um, I think I said before on this show, there's kind of two lightweight leagues at the moment. You've got the 155ers up and coming, the Ismagulovs and Sarukians and Kutataladze and Gamrot and whatnot. And then you've got the stars. You've got your Michael Chandler's, your Dustin Poirier's, possibly your uh, Conor McGregor's. Um, and they're all going to fight each other, but not those two leagues don't really seem to be crossing. You're Justin Gaethje's as well. Um, those leagues don't seem to be crossing. And probably the superstars league, they're the ones that are going to get the title fights against Makachev. Um, and it's more likely you're going to see Paddy Pimlet fighting one of them because A, they're on the downturn to some extent, and B, that's the kind of the money fights for the UFC. The idea that they're going to put them against someone like Kutatalazi or the winner of Sarukian and, and Ismagulov, you know, it doesn't really do anything for them because those guys aren't really marketable. And by beating Paddy Pimlet now, not people are going to say, well, he lost his last fight, really. Um, the decision. Can you find a 48 47 for Paddy Pimlet? I don't really care, to be honest with you. Um, the decision doesn't mean that much to me. I'm sure it does to uh, Mr. Gordon. Uh, to me personally, it's more about you know, seeing what each man's got. Um, Gordon looked better than he has done for a while against Paddy Pimlet, which says a lot about Paddy Pimlet. One fight they won't be putting him in against is a guy that he's had crosswords before, the uh, weight hopping Ilya Toporia, who picked up an astounding win over Bryce Mitchell. Um, Mitchell was just an absolute menace on the mat. Tapore dominated him there. In terms of his offence, absolutely loved the guy. Love how he just throws how for leather um, and how he sort of herds people on the shots. Boy, he's a bit like Arthur Abraham. Um, if you remember him, he was a middleweight and super middleweight. Throws wide to lead you on to something else. Just moves you around with these big wide swings. Um, the big uh, sort of powerful, I think it was a knockdown sequence, but definitely the big sequence was... Uh, Tapore, he's not upright like Alexis Arguello, but it reminds me of the Arguello Ray Mancini combination. It was a great combination. The right uppercut into left hook, and then followed with a sort of overhand right or, or right cross behind it. It was a wonderful uh, combo from Tapore. I saw a couple of people online saying that he's throwing full, uh, no, not changing up the tempo, not changing up the, the weight of his shots and just absolutely bombing and he looked a little bit tired, well he didn't look that tired because he actually got Mitchell down and tapped him with an arm triangle so showed um, and was stuffing takedowns, punishing uh, takedown attempts as well hitting on the exit and whatnot. just a brilliantly well rounded performance and for a while now we thought that there's no one left for Volkanovski to fight at 145 Looking to beat at Taporia is looking like quite a fucking interesting uh, prospect at 145. I'm not going to lie, it took me a little while to catch on. A lot of people were saying how fucking great he was and whatnot. I needed to see a bit more. Look, not a lot of people like Bryce Mitchell, but he really impressed me um, with his somewhat limited but functional stand-up against Barbosa. And obviously his his ground game is is um, somewhat intimidating. He's, he's creative there and dangerous. Um 
So for me, for Taporia to absolutely whitewash him says a lot. Um, I like these kind of streaking prospect fights. A lot of people say, don't have the prospects fight each other. Let's separate the wheat from the chaff. Let's show these guys now what they've got to work on. Bryce Mitchell now knows what he's got to work on. A lot of be interested to see what he does. Don't really see uh, masses of potential in him. Um, you know, trying to think of an example of someone somewhat similar. Uh, I guess someone like GSOP, you know, that once they were sort of found out, um, they did not really able to add too much to their game. Um, I'd like to see Bryce Mitchell try. He's still somewhat young, still somewhat talented. I know people just can't stand him because the guy seems like a complete uh, cornball and, and a fucking idiot, but I don't really care. Most uh, In most sports, you will find that the majority of people are disagreeable with your own uh, way of life and your own uh, politics and whatnot. If you get hung up on that, you're, you're never going to enjoy anyone. So, um, interesting to see what he does. But for me, this this whole card really was the story of uh, Taporia coming on strong and uh, really making a name for himself. As I say, I'm always willing to admit when I'm late, I require a bit more evidence before I jump on the bandwagon sometimes, guys. Um, but really, really impressed and um, just an amazing... Uh, performance and certainly one of the breakout fighters now for me it's a poor just brilliant which brings me to the main event which i spoke about at length on heavy hands last week which i'll drop in a sample of in a minute uh split draw between magomed ankolaev and jan blahovic um i'm going to drop in my prediction which was mainly focused on my issues with ankolaev as a fighter which i think uh, was somewhat uh, prescient and i think um I think you'll agree that I was not unfair about Ankalaev. Um, and then I'm going to talk about what I thought about the fight itself and the decision rendered. This is from Heavy Hands episode 448, a matchup made in heaven which was released last week and which uh, Conor Rebush, uh, Phil McKenzie and I uh, attempted to break down this main event between Ankalaev and Jan Bohovic. Why has he had the John Jones, I've forgotten how to wrestle track before even winning the title? And I, I just don't know what the answer to that is. But well, yeah, Phil, Kyle, you go Phil, for it. Phil, I was about to say, before Rebush, because he was prattling about wasting our time, we kind of touched on this beforehand, which is weird because I thought the dynamic between us three was going to be a little bit fraught because I actually thought we might be coming at this from vastly different things because, um, well, not vastly different, but I certainly thought that I would probably be the pessimist of the group in regards to Uncle Liev. Um, he is not a proactive wrestler, but then if you the glove the Glover Yan fight, for example, very Glover Texas knows is extremely slow. Does not take much to run Yan against the cage level change wise. You throw some shots on top, faint uh, a level change, and he will scurry back. You push him back on the back foot. He's very easy to get down. And that's why Uncle Ive's not like a open space shot threat anyway. He's going to get you against the cage, you know, drag you down and work from there. And he's really, really good on top. But he's a low output counter striker who doesn't proactively grapple. Um, I see the John Jones comparison. Before. He's been like that for a while anyway. Yeah. Um, in terms of like just not being proactive at all. Doesn't seem to want to do it. And his sort of MO of excellent counter-striking, in my opinion, love how quick he is on the trigger, love the variety of uh, looks he can respond to. Um, 
and I want to preface this actually by saying I think Ankalaev will beat Jan Blachowicz, um, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. But I find him, and I know this is going to cause some issues with certain listeners because I know he's got a fan base, and I know people are desperate for some sort of prime and interesting light heavyweight to latch onto, and the hope that we'll get some sort of Habib adjacent fighter at 205. But he just seems to be, and I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, some people just inherently passive, and some people just aren't able to do consistently what they should be able to do. And he just seems to be a guy who's really comfortable countering and not very proactive. And actually, he's not a proactive jabber. So when he's not really, all I'm trying to say is, Uncle Levy, when he's not doing what he needs to be doing, he isn't really doing much at all. Not a proactive jabber, not a proactive leg kicker. Love the sort of uh, open stance, rear side body kick, which he uses a lot, or the snap kick. Both really good tools. Jan Blachowicz is pretty good at defending those tools. That limits what Uncle Live can do in this fight even more so. Um, and, yeah, what should be a relatively straightforward fight for Uncle Live, I, I, he isn't going to make it that, and we're going to have probably a pretty tepid kickboxing match. Is that fair to say? It seems very likely. And and I think, honestly, once you, assent, once you consent to a tepid kickboxing match, I'm no longer confident at all that he's going to beat Jan Blachowicz. Because, like, this is the best range kickboxer he will have tried that against if that is the, if he sticks to the route he's been doing lately. And again, he didn't try to take Tiago Santos down until the fourth round of a fight. And, and, and got clobbered with a left hook in an exchange, which, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, this was a guy who, Tiago Santos. So essentially, you can go check out that whole discussion. Um, I think it's. Usually, like previews after the fact aren't really that interesting, but I think we actually picked up on a lot of interesting um, stylistic quirks of Ankalaev and why Blahovic would be a pretty stiff challenge for him. Although I thought that Ankalaev would get the job done by decision, arguably he did deserve to. We'll get into that in a minute. That's not as interesting as the fight itself. Um, but you know, the main crux of all of our arguments, which as I alluded to in that clip, I was surprised that uh, Phil and Connor were going to be as uh, pessimistic as I was. And it's not negative. It's not, I don't like Ankalaev, as so many of his fanboys seem to think. Um, you know, people get so personal about this stuff. They're genuine um, deficiencies in how he approaches fights. Even DC, halfway through the second round, said, you're fighting Jan Blachowicz. Why are you not wrestling as your primary tactic? And that's just something that Ankalaev doesn't do um, as often as he should and that was something which I think we all uh, correctly pointed out in that preview on heavy hands and Uncle Ive is essentially a low output counter striker isn't uh, as dynamic going forward um, pointed out more than once on that episode if, if you care to listen to it or if you already have you already know um, about how proficient I feel that Uncle Ive is as a counter striker I think he's excellent really fast uh, trigger a number of different ways of, of approaching um, different attacks uh, can counter kicks with punches, can step out of range and bang you with counter kicks, um, can you know hit you with an array of different counter punches um, aggressively, you know coming into you as you go for him or stepping back, making you miss and clobbering you as well. These are things which are really, really um, impressive facets of his game. So I don't even think I just don't like the guy. Um, I think he could be better. That's the problem. Um, 
there's a lot of talk about decision and I will talk about it for a little bit now and how it sort of hung on the first round and actually I think the first round's one of those it's Uncle Ive scoring more punches um, one thing I thought was interesting was Jan Blachowicz I mentioned in that it wasn't in that clip but on heavy hands really good at defending kicks um, and rather than throwing round um, or throwing low kicks um, which Uncle Ive should do more of anyway um, he was using like a sort of rear push kick a straight one which is obviously harder to defend and, and, and that was quite a good weapon for him in the first round but mainly it was punches versus kicks for me you know we know that kicks should weigh more than they do on the scoring criteria and there was a good left hook in there from Jan Mahovic as well. That round can go either way. And anyone saying that it's clear cut, you don't know what you're talking about. You're pushing an agenda. So let's just say you know that go either way. But it could easily go Jan Blachowicz's way. The second round was all Jan as he started timing Uncle Ive um, with kicks. Inside, outside. Um, causing Uncle Ive to uh, change stance um, from his preferred southpaw stance. Um, Jan also started... Um, he was able to get the jab off in the first round, but obviously a little bit more difficult to jab against a southpaw sometimes. So he started shifting Uncle Ivo by throwing the right hand and then whipping the left hook over. One of my big concerns for uh, Jan into this fight was that oftentimes he'll dip the head just before he whips across that sort of leaping left hook he does, which is a really powerful weapon, but I could have seen him getting timed by Uncle Ivo's counter. So he started masking that with the right hand and just shifting Uncle Ivo over to his own right-hand side to... Uh, sort of uh, move him into that left hook which I thought was really nice work but the leg kicks were clearly the most damaging and, and aesthetically uh, obvious um, weapons of the second round and in the third round Ankalaev I mean again you want to talk about flawed process um, you also speak about the Brendan Ingle guys and now they add the uh, the process with their shifting and you know there'll be grids written on the floor and this is where you change and when you throw you move to here and you know it's fine to shift into stances masked with shots it's fine to shift in and out of stances at a safe range what you don't do and one of the reasons Nassim Hamid used to get knocked over a fair bit um, off balance and whatnot is lunge too far or move or shift into a different stance as you're walking forward and Ankara walked forward in orthodox and as he walked into Jan's range he just switched to southpaw and as he did it Jan was like oh thanks very much bang kicked him and straight away the optics of that round were that Jan was winning that round and I thought he did win that round there was a couple of decent uh, punches for Ankara and late in the round like the last minute or so and he realised that if I can get Jans back to the cage and just hold him there, he can't kick me. And in the fourth round, that then evolved into I can get him there, then I can get him down. Um, and then, you know, fourth round and fifth round were dominant and Clive rounds. And obviously, the fifth round is likely a 10 8. Um, given the optics, you know, could you give round two or three as a 10 8 to Jan? I don't think you can, but because, you know, and Clive held his own, even though he was visibly getting hurt and knocked around with those kicks. The fact is, Ankalaev did less with the groundwork than Glover did, although obviously Glover's a much better submission artist, don't get me wrong, and a much better top guy. Um, but not much better top guy, but better submission artist, and a really good top guy. Um, yeah, Ankalaev's really good from there, and he's a very stifling top control kind of guy. He's not Habib by any, by any means, I know everyone wants him to be, but that's where he's strong, and that's where Jan is not strong. He does not try and uh, sort of get back to, get back to the cage. He does not uh, try and use his hips. He will literally sit in close guard and just try and grab your arms and tie you up and hope for the best. He's got nothing there. Um, and the fact that it took Ankalaev, you know, 
essentially 15 minutes to figure that out. If that was a three-round non-title chief support fight, as it was originally going to be, I think, on the uh, uh, the undercard of, obviously, Jury Prohaska and, uh, and uh, Glover Texera 2, then Jan Mahovic would have won a decision pretty clearly, um, would have won rounds two and three. So I know people will say, well, Jan Kalova was playing for five rounds. He's still not making the right decisions. He is, despite his obvious talents, he's clearly not the has not got the strongest sort of fight IQ. I think that's fair to say. I actually think even despite the fact that he could have possibly won this fight and probably should have done, um, and I promise you, we'll get to those scorecards in a minute, um, is it a candidate for right or robbery? It's not that interesting. Um, we'll do a little mini right or robbery in a second. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you, you you get what you, you know, reap what you sow, essentially. And if Ankalaev had listened to Heavy Hands last week, he would have maybe he would have decided to wrestle a little bit earlier. And um, I know people say, it's not that easy, you can't just shoot a double leg. Do you, you ever seen Jan Blachowicz fight? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it is that simple. The fact of the matter is, when Uncle Ive was coming forward and, and masking his work with just a, f- a flurry of punches, they're just throwaways. You can level change quite quickly on Blahovic. He's not that hard to do a level change on. Glover Tech Sierra done it with really basic, just lumbering forward, big wide hooks, and then level change. You get in deep on him. Although I did really like, um, I think it was in the first or second round, maybe the second round, um, Uncle Ive grabbed hold of a leg to counter a kick. And uh, was nowhere near you know, finishing on the single, but grabbed the single desperately. And Jan used the old, if you've ever seen the uh, the famous Baz Root and self-defence technique. Someone grabs your leg, just fucking punch him in the face. Love that. As takedown defence, that's about as good as he's got. Um, so, yeah, um, the scorecards, let's just say you give Jan Blachowicz round one just about. And let's say you only give him 10 nines in the other two. And then you give a 10-9 and a 10-8 to Ankalaev. Then obviously you've got a draw, which is what we got. Um, and if you give Ankalaev the first round tight, um, then you've got obviously the Ankalaev win, um, which would be 48-46. Um, and if you know you do that, but maybe you give Blahovic a 10-8 in one of those rounds due to the uh, repeated visible uh, impact effects on Ankalaev, then maybe you've got a draw as well, you know, and, and, and maybe if you go Jan in the first round and give him a 10-8, if you also give Ankalaev a 10-8 later, um, you know, you've got a, fucking, what would you have? 47-46 to Jan? I mean, there are a number of permutations. I think more often than not, Ankalaev would get the decision, um, but quite frankly, you know, he kind of deserves this because he's fighting in a way that is not conducive to consistent success. Um, I stand by my claim that he is good for 205 he is somewhat interesting for 205 um and quite frankly if it was a deeper division and if he was called john smith no one would really care about him um but he'll get another opportunity once we have another champion crowned which barring another draw or no contest or i don't know disqualification or something is going to be between jamal hill and uh glover tech zero and i think hill's probably going to beat him i think uh, Glover Teixeira is you know, old anyway, slow anyway and as I've said before I've seen it too many times where an old fighter gets into a really fucking sort of last man standing type war, I don't think Glover Teixeira is going to have too much left after that amazing fight with uh, Yuri Pahaska uh, and Jamal I don't rate him but I think he could just clobber him early I'm hoping the uh, Brazil 
uh, having Brazil on his side and the fact that he's just a wily vet will see uh, Glover Teixeira through. Um, if you ask me, if Jamal Hill wins, I'd rather see Alex Pereira go up and fucking fight him and smash him to bits. Um, this current crop of light heavyweights don't exactly inspire confidence. I know everyone will want Uncle Ive to get the next shot, um, but... The really interesting fight in that division is, you know, if, if Yuri comes back fighting someone like Pereira, I mean, it'd be fucking so much fun. Just absolute bedlam. Um, it's the thing, Uncle Live, he could fight Alex Pereira. And if he does take, we know full well, right, yeah? He will not just wrestle someone who's really easy to wrestle. So he's going to probably stand up with someone like Alex Pereira for a couple of rounds. So think about that. Uncle Live could potentially fight a couple of people that are absolute layups for him stylistically. Quality fighters, dangerous fighters, 100%. Um, fighters that are, should be layups for him stylistically and could potentially throw it away due to bad uh, in-cage decisions or just bad application or just uh, passivity, essentially. Um, so, yeah, forgive me for not being... Um, completely enamoured with uh, Magomed Ankalaev because uh, I'm not. Also, big fight this weekend, probably this weekend, you know, I think I'm just going to talk about Sarukin versus Ismagulov. Would anyone have any problems if this week's podcast, assuming it meets expectations, is just about that fight? Um, I think I'm going to do that. And then after that, going to have a couple of weeks off before we do... We've got We've got Rise on Christmas Day. I'm hoping to catch some of that. Um, and then we've got Rising on New Year's Eve. We're probably going to do a patron podcast on the Rising versus Bellator card for New Year's Eve. And then we'll back on this feed, on the normal feed, for the end of year awards, which will be on your New Year's Day or, or the day after. Um, still hoping to get Guide for Pride 1 out uh, at the end of this month. Still working on it. Oh, it's actually getting quite fun now to work on um, as we get you know on the final stages of the, of the writing. And I started to sort of think about what kind of music I want to use and whatnot. Um... Yeah, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. Um, if you want to get access to that and other exclusive stuff, we've had this week the top ten boxing matches of all time, in which I went over my my well, my top ten boxing matches of all time, and how that list could have potentially changed since the last time I did it back in 2013. Gave some context on the fights, some sound clips, that sort of stuff. Spoke about what makes fighters and fights great. If you want to get access to stuff like that, head on over to Patreon. www patreon.com slash combat chronicles thanks as always for your patience thanks for listening if you want to hit me up on twitter at combat cr let me know if you're an ankle live fanboy stay away if you're a sensible person who wants to discuss fighting uh, please hit me up until next episode peace out and have a good one deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 